White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 542. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. Hello and welcome to the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. We have a long name for this show, the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. I'm Van Allen Plexico and I'm joined for this episode by episode review series by my co-host, Andy Fix. Welcome back aboard, Andy. Thank you, sir. How are you doing today? Oh, good, good. I'm, uh, I'm, it's, it seems like it's been a couple of months since we last talked Babylon 5, so I'm very much <laughs> looking forward to it. As am I. So... Uh, before we get started, we have a couple of announcements. So you go first because yours directly relates. Yes, today is the birthday of actor Andreas Katsoulis, uh, who, of course, played Jakar. Sadly, he passed away several years ago, but uh, today is his birthday. I thought uh, that that was worth mentioning, as Jakar is, is probably the most uh, charismatic character throughout the entire series. So, Oh, yeah. No doubt about that. Yeah. And... I did get to meet him one time at Dragon Con. He came to Dragon Con probably, I'm going to say, 2000, maybe 2001, somewhere in there. And uh, when there was a crowd of them there, and uh, <laughs> he was there auctioning off uh, gra- uh, lithographs of, of, of Jakar, I believe. So, um, But he's really cool. He's certainly beloved by everybody who knew him or ever met him. And I think that's pretty, pretty much universal. So I'm glad you know yeah. that. So... The other announcement is, for those that don't know, the, the first, this is the fourth episode, and we cover like three, we've, so far we've been covering three episodes of the show per episode of our podcast. There will be times that that will not be the case. It'll just depend on how the season plays out. But for now, we're covering three episodes per podcast. What I've done so far, because we were just testing out to make sure that we were, that we thought this was a good idea, that people were listening and everything, was... I've been posting them into our network feed, the White Rocket Entertainment Network feed, which also contains our Avengers Assemble shows occasionally, our open wheel racing shows, the White Rocket podcast itself, which just had a new episode posted yesterday where Mira and I and my daughter reviewed uh, Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libre, which was a lot of fun. Um, I, so, I listened to that podcast. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, you can tell Mira thought it. When Mira likes something, especially something that's a few years old, I consider that a victory. I'd never seen either one of those <laughs> either, though. So, but um, so it basically it's been crammed in with all the other occasional shows. But this has become a regular show with a regular schedule, and so I decided about a week or two ago it needed its own home. So you can continue for a couple more episodes to listen to it in the White Rocket feed. I'm not going to take it out completely because there's people that, that are listening to it there. I'll just keep making this announcement that in the future, that, that there is now a podcast channel just for this show called the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. And it's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Google Podcasts. It's on Spotify. It's on Podbean. You can also go to babylon5review.podbean.com, right? And I also can, we'll also continue having our b5reviews.com 
web page where we can post the shows and also post videos and other links and various things that we can't really do on the podcast page. So it's got two pages, but it's got its own podcast feed now. All that means is you can take your favorite podcast player and go search for uh, White Rocket Babylon 5 Review and you should find it with no problem, and you could subscribe there. And if we can get everybody moved over to that feed, then the, then we can abandon the White Rocket feed and let it go back to being a catch-all for everything else. So I hope that made sense. Did that make any sense at all, Andy? <laughs> it, it made sense to me. Okay, well, I good. I followed you. Good, all right. So, yeah. So, in other words, it's got its own channel now. It doesn't have to share it with other shows anymore. Um, just go, to, just just search for, Babylon, for White Rocket Babylon 5 Review, uh, and you should be able to find it. Um, but like I said, it'll still be on the regular feed as well for a little while longer. Okay, um, let's see. It occurred to me that we haven't really, we've been so excited about doing our show and doing a good job with the show, which I feel like we have so far. We haven't really introduced ourselves. So how about taking just a minute to let our listeners, and we've, you know, we've, we've had like 150 to 200 listeners our first several shows. So we've got people listening and only going to grow, I intend. Um, how about taking a second to introduce yourself and I'll introduce myself, like who we are, what we do. That sounds good. Yeah. So, uh, I am Andy Fix. I know Van through, uh, the writing. Uh, I'm a writer as is Van, uh, through the new Pulp Fiction movement. Um, I'm also a, a small business owner with my wife and I'm a former professional football player and an all around geek. So, um, <laughs> Babylon 5 is only one of my, my geekiness. I'm also into uh, Star Trek, Star Wars, really anything with uh, fantasy or science, science fiction theme. I, I, I enjoy it thoroughly. Yeah, and I've noticed that because I've enjoyed your pictures of the day that you put up every day on Facebook, and you have just a very diverse and varied uh, collection of things that you like and that you put up there. I enjoy that very much. So that's cool. Well, good. I'm also fascinated that you were a football player because I'm a huge football fan. Uh, but there's not yeah. a lot of there's not a lot of super geeky sci-fi fans that are also big sports and football fans. We're a very rare breed, it seems like, that cross over like that. This is true. That's cool. But you know, football fans are, are geeks uh, of their own. They just don't like to admit it. I mean, they they Absolutely. cosplay, they dress up in the jerseys, yes. they have big conventions, the whole nine yards. So they, they 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 pretend like they're not geeky, but they're just as geeky as everybody else. Oh, I I have said this forever. You're exactly right. Every year at DragonCon, you know, there we all are in our sci-fi get-ups, and they're playing a couple of games in the in the Georgia Dome or the new stadium now, and those folks are all mixed in with us, and you have to look, you have to really know what you're looking for to be able to tell the difference, you know, because they're right. all just as dressed up in their fandom as, as anybody else, and I kind of alternate. I've got like, what I've managed to do for DragonCon, especially when Auburn gets my team gets to play in the in Atlanta that weekend, and it has a few times. Is I've got like an Iron Man shirt where Iron Man has the big AU orange and blue uh, Auburn logo on him, and I've got a and you know with War Eagle I've got a um, I've got a T-shirt that my wife uh, made for me that says War and then it's got a Space 1999 Eagle and then it says Hey, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I I've uh, I've managed to kind of blend the two together so it's interesting. Um, well, yeah. with, without further ado, oh I introduced myself. I'm Van Allen Plexico. Yeah, I'm a, a pulp writer just like Andy, and I've written quite a few novels and, and short stories and anthologies, and, and Babylon 5 has always been a big influence, uh, certainly. I love space opera. I love, I love big, epic stories. I've written several books along in that vein over the years. And um, so if you want to 
uh, check out anything of mine, go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, and there's links to everything, including all the other podcasts we do and uh, all my books and everything. So check that out. So is there a place just uh, on Amazon, Andy, or you have like an Amazon page, or where's a central place for you? I do have an Amazon page. You can uh, check me out there. It's Andy Fix, F-I-X, um, or uh, most of my stuff was published by Airship 27. You can check out Airship 27. Yeah. Uh, they have a, a, a fine selection of stuff. Yes, they do. They've published a few of mine over the years, too. Absolutely. Ron and Rob are great. All right, without further ado... Let's get into tonight's episodes. We're covering three episodes tonight. And it's interesting because I was looking at what we covered tonight and what we're going to be covering our, in episode five our, of our show. And in both cases, there's like one pretty darn good episode. And in both cases, there's one that I'm not that excited about. And in both cases, there's one I'm kind of, meh, you know. So we're, yeah. in, the, we're in the kind of the middle of the first season and we've gotten some of the big bang episodes out of the way. There's some more still to come, but we're kind of in the middle now. That doesn't mean that there's not good stuff to say. And I like the fact, Andy, that we've been very positive. We've looked for the good things in these episodes so far. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, the episodes we're going to cover tonight, we're going to get into it right now is, uh, the show numbering that we're going by is this is one Oh nine death Walker. And then 110, Believers, and 111, Survivors. And we'll see if anybody survived Believers. Ba-dum-bum. Hey, oh, hey, oh, hey. All right. So let's, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into Death Walker. Do you want to do a summary of this one or do you want me to do the summary of this one? We've, kinda, we've, kinda, we've, we've been doing this very on the fly. Uh, I can do the summary of this one. All right. Let's do um, Death Walker is when, uh, in the episode, a, uh, an alien comes on board Babylon 5 and is recognized by the uh, um, Narn uh, attache uh, and she, uh, Natoth I believe her name is and she attacks her, uh, screams out Deathwalker attacks her, uh, turns out that this particular alien is a war criminal known as Deathwalker and she is very unpopular with the vast majority of the galaxy yeah. but she has something that Earth Force wants so she is under uh, Babylon 5's protection uh, and it gets it gets dicey from there. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Very good. Um, there's two plots pretty much this episode. I, I usually there's usually like a third plot I totally forget. So correct me if I miss something. But this one this episode is has got two plots that really have nothing to do with each other. Um, one of them is the Deathwalker plot, Jadur, uh, played by I believe Sarah Douglas from Superman Two, which is interesting. Yeah. And the B-plot is the really weird Talia, Kosh, and Abbott, Abbott the Vicar subplot that seems to make no sense at all. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I also wanted to note, while we're talking about what's in this episode really quick, that there's a lot of background in- information presented for just the first or second time. We find out all about the Dilgar War, which I'm not sure has come up before. Um, I, right. By the way, I, I believe this is a Larry Dottilio episode, and it's probably my favorite Larry. I've got like three pages of notes on this, so we're just going to dig right in. I think <laughs> I think this is a yeah, this is a Larry Dottilio episode, and it, it's probably my yeah. favorite Larry Dottilio episode um, because things like Jovian sunspots still pop up. Just so you know, it's a Larry Dottilio <laughs> episode, but it's still pretty darn good. Uh, you find out about the Dil- Dilgar War. 
you see the Drazi really kind of in action for the first time. And it may not be the first time we've seen the Babylon 5 Council, but it's the first time we've really seen them in an extended... Or were they in the first episode? I kind of forget. Um, this was the first time when we saw the full body. Yeah. Usually it was only four or five guys sitting in there. Now, now we see more of a room full of people. You know, I love the idea of the council. It's like a little model UN. In fact, in fact, at the Babylon 5 LARP at DragonCon that we did in 2000, we actually did it as a, like a model United Nations. I used the model UN rules, and, and, but we had like the main races up at the front table, and everybody else was in the General Assembly, and it was so cool. It's on video, yeah. by the way. If, you can find it on YouTube. I'll put the link. I'm going to have to put the link, even though it's embarrassing. It was 20 years ago, 21 <laughs> years ago, but it's on YouTube. Somebody filmed a bunch of it. You can see everybody dressed up in Babylon five costumes trying to do basically a model UN. It's the greatest it's the greatest nerdiest thing of all time. <laughs> That's but, uh, awesome. Yeah, it didn't it didn't include football, but it did include my other passions <laughs> which are science fiction and politics. So I was able to combine the two. Um, yeah. and then okay, so let's see uh, let's go through some of the things and then I want to work through some of my notes cuz we may cover some of my notes along the way. So, okay. what was your high point of this episode? My high point was the uh, the first appearance of the Drazi Sunhawk. I absolutely Ooh. love. I'm I'm a tech nerd, mm. um, uh, so I love all the spaceship designs. But this the Drazi Sunhawk is one of my favorite spaceship designs. It it was really cool. It's very dynamic and it shows up uh, just spectacularly, and I loved it. They really make good use of the of the CGI with the Vorlon ship and the Drazi ships to give them like pulsing lights on the outside. You don't see that. Yep. You don't see right. anything like that on model-based shows, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's playing to their strength. That's using it as a strength. That's a really good idea. I like that. Yeah. My high point of the episode, there were several. Some of these t- tonight, it was kind of hard to find just one or two. But um, my, my high point also involves a spaceship. It's at the very end when the Vorlon ship comes through the gate and blow. It's like that. <laughs> I just still laugh. <laughs> They've spent 55 basically minutes of real time of airtime arguing over what's going to happen with Deathwalker, and then the Vorlons just come in and trump everybody's card and go, "We'll go ahead and decide that and blow it up," and then just turn around and leave. And everybody's right. just kind of shocked, except Londo laughs. I just love that Londo's like, "Yep." <laughs> so that was my favorite. That's one of my favorite moments in the whole series. Honestly, I love it. And. You know, if you look closely, when they blow the crap out of her ship, you can see her body flying away oh, from God. it. Oh, God. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Fly, right. Flies right by the screen. Wow. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I just love that we already knew the Vorlons were mysterious and powerful, but this is where we really find out that not only are they mysterious and powerful, they can do pretty much at this point anyway, whatever they want, and nobody can do a thing about it. If they showed up and right. blew up Babylon 5... It just that would be the Babylon Five got blown up. They, there wouldn't be yep. anything anybody could do. They are that yep, powerful, and that is a recurring theme throughout the entire series. <laughs> I wanted Kasha's little mechanical hand to come out and just drop a microphone and then and then float away. <laughs> <laughs> like I got nothing to say. I'm done. That was beautiful. All right, low point of the episode. I'll go. I'll do this one. My low point of this episode was basically anything involving Abbott the Vicar. Now, <laughs> this is this is difficult for me because I, based on some things later that we can't talk about really, I have my theories as to what that was really all about. In, in other words, it's another season or two until we come to an episode that suggests what that was all about. And so 
I I kind of in a way like it. I just thought that he was so over the top goofy. It was again so Detilio. Larry Detilio can bring colorful, wacky, fun things, but he can also be goofy and dumb. And you're like, oh, really? You know, he did write for cartoons before, you know, just like JMS before JMS brought him on this show. And it's sometimes it shows that he used to write for cartoons. I think, um, right? Little slapstick. But when he when he see his head and it's like brains and lights flashing at the same and all that, I'm just like, yeah, boy, that's. And he hits on Talia. That just to me, I mean, like, you know, hey, baby, you want to go have a Jovian sunspot or something? <laughs> like, oh, Lord. So that was my low point. What was yours? You know, it, I, I thought that that character was actually kind of funny. I, I love it when he first came in. He's like, hey, Kashi, baby, yeah. <laughs> and all that stuff. I, I thought the character was funny, but yeah, the low point was when he took off his hat and he had the, the pulsating brain and the lights flashing. And I mean, it looked like a, a toy from the 70s or something. So that was, it was kind of <laughs> cheesy. It did look like a yeah, that's true. I, I is it was it originally it was written for Gilbert Gottfried, I think. <laughs> I, I, I think I wow, heard that. I, I, I didn't know that. That that would be perfect for Gilbert Gottfried. It would though. make sense. What I think it was Gilbert Gottfried. It, it may have been somebody, but I really want to say it was written for Gilbert Gottfried, and then he he couldn't do it, and they brought yeah, that guy that, in. So. That, I think that character would have would have been much more uh, fun if it weren't Gilbert Gottfried. Just yeah. picturing him in that role. His delivery oh, wow. would be a lot different. His delivery, I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, well, but yet that plot also includes my most Babylon 5 scene. What is your most Babylon 5 quote-unquote scene? My most Babylon 5 scene, it, it, from the sounds of it, is probably the same as yours, is when um, Talia questions Kosh at the very end as to uh, what all this was about. And he just said, it's for the future. Ah, uh, you nailed it. Yeah, she says, what was on that data crystal he gave you? <laughs> Reflection, surprise, <laughs> terror for the future. And that's what I mean by you have to wait a couple of seasons to see if there's any real, you know. But I, I'll, I won't spoil anything, but I'll just say I think that real-world considerations kind of messed it up a little bit. So right. we, we do get some fallout from this later. It's just maybe not what it originally would have been. We'll talk about that when the time comes. Right. All right our, our next question up is, what was your favorite character moment from this episode? Mine was when Ivanova was talking with Sinclair about stalling the, uh, the aliens outside that were threatening to blow up the station. And uh, he gave her the praise. You know, he said, good job, Lieutenant Commander. Mm. And then as he walked away, she just kind of straightened herself up and smiled a little bit I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> I saw a funny meme about Ivanova yesterday. It had like 15 pictures of her all making the same frowny face. And it was like Ivanova angry, Ivanova annoyed, Ivanova pissed, Ivanova mad, you know, and it was all the same face. And then there was <laughs> one that said something funny that I can't give away. And then there was one that was like, um, no coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where she was really mad and it said no coffee, something like that. So I thought it was pretty cute. Um, I yeah, I kind of had a couple. I my favorite uh, character moment uh, is Natoth gets some great moments in this episode. I'd forgotten how important she is to to a number of the first season episodes. She really has, you know. Remember, she was very important in Parliament of Dreams. And she's got a lot of stuff to do in this episode, which I thought was interesting. Because so far, she's got to do a lot more, I would argue, than Veer or Lanier, you know, as the, as the assistants. And I loved when she said, 
I will take it from her when I eat her flesh. <laughs> I thought that was a that was a good Natoff line. And, and then yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, and my other one, I, I had to this was this one is just the classic when Kosh says, You are not ready for immortality. So Yeah. I really enjoyed uh, Natoff setting up. Uh, they gave a lot of background information on the the um, Narn culture with their their uh, oaths that they take, uh, kind of mm. set them up a little bit like Klingons. But then yeah. Jakar comes in and says, "Well, you know, you can work around that a little bit too." <laughs> so I thought I thought that was that that was cool that they were setting up you know their their culture and stuff, but also showed Jakar was you know willing to compromise his. His, uh, his beliefs a little bit to, to get the job done. That's funny. Yeah, that's good. Um, I, I I have to note that in the Babylon 5 collectible card game, which I used to play all the time, I was huge into that game back about 20, 15, 20 years ago, um, there's a card that's very powerful that lets you basically reverse or stop anything going on in the game, more or less. And the c- picture on the card is the Vorlon ship blowing up Deathwalker's ship coming out of the jump gate. <laughs> and the name of the card is You Are Not Ready. <laughs> so basically you play that card and the Vorlons just blow up whatever was going on for you. So that's pretty cool. Uh, let's see. Speaking of funny, our funniest moment. Uh, my funniest moment from this episode, I don't think that there was a really, not a lot of hugely funny episodes, but uh, f- funny moments this episode, but... I just in general thought it was interesting that I think Kosh gets more lines in this episode than in every other episode over five years combined. Kosh yeah. talks a lot in this episode. So yeah. actually I think I think that I think that JMS had two reactions to this episode, even though it, it went ahead. One was I know he said he didn't like the Vicar Abbott being he said, I don't like that technology being in my universe. So he he kind of chastised Attilio for, for creating the vicar. Uh, the other thing, though, I think he didn't want Kosh to talk so much. He preferred him to be enigmatic and mysterious rather than just going around throwing out enigmatic and mysterious quotes. You know, Kosh gets several right. really good quotes in this episode, like the You Are Not Ready for Mortality. So what was your funniest moment? My funniest moment it also had to do with Kosh. It was just he and Abbott exchanging the, the non sequiturs. I mean, it was just hilarious. And to see Talia's reaction to him, she's like sitting there, what is going on? But yeah, yeah, some of the phrases and words that they're just tossing out were just ridiculously just off the wall. It was. I found it interesting, and I didn't think of that until you, until, I didn't think of this until you said that. I found it interesting that Talia will reject a job based on if it bores her. You know, mm-hmm. she's getting paid. Kosh paid her right. fees, but yet she's just like, y'all aren't talking about anything. You're just saying words to each other. I, I don't like this. I quit. And I'm thinking, yep. doesn't that mean you have even less to do? You could be sitting there doing a crossword puzzle, making money. But, I, I took that to mean that she would, felt uncomfortable, but didn't okay. know exactly why. Yeah. Well, that's certainly true. That's a good point. And she does, she does uh, express later on, you know, when she starts having like these hallucinations or whatever, that that's, that that's the case. So, yeah. I guess so. Um, do you have any random notes or observations that you want to throw out there? I do not. The only one I had, and I brought that up earlier, was the the bit when uh, Deathwalker's ship blew up and he saw her body flying through space. <laughs> I totally missed that, man. I really wish I had to go back now. It was, it was a blink and you'll miss it moment, but she flew right by the camera. I'm usually just going, woo! <laughs> and then I, I always like of them. course being the 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 
uh, CGI that it was. I mean, she was completely immobile. It wasn't like, right. you know, the Star Trek movies where they're flapping their arms and stuff and it's all <laughs> horrifying. It was just, yeah. you know, a, a, a person-shaped object floating by the, the screen. Very Lego-like in the first season. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> all right, so here's a few notes that I made. I noted that this maybe is Larry Dottilio's best episode. I think it's for sure my favorite Dottilio episode. Uh, there's, I don't think there's a whole lot more of them, by the way. Um, we talk about the Dilgar War. Their son went Nova, interestingly enough. Uh, her name is Jadur. Sinclair's father was a pilot in the Dilgar War. I, I don't know how much of it is is canonical, but the story I've always been told or always understood about it is that, in, in very much in short, the Dilgar were a very hostile expansionist race that were beating up several of the non-aligned worlds, which would be like the little... If, if it's an alien on the show and you don't recognize who they are, they're the non-aligned worlds, right? There's the Vree, right, there's right. the Brakiri, the Drazi. There's a bunch of them. Uh, the, the game, right? There's several. So they're all slightly... They're not great powers like the Centauri. And, and I find it interesting that the Minbari, the, 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 obviously in, in pecking order of power, it's, it's the Vorlons on top, then the Minbari. Uh, then you have the Centauri and the Narn and Earth all kind of... Yeah, you know, somewhere around second, third, or third, fourth, and fifth in some order. The Dilgar War is when Earth established itself as a great power to get to sit on that table with the Minbari, the Vorlons, the Centauri, and the Narn. That was right. that, that was, was that was their was, World War II moment. Yeah, the coming out party where you suddenly realize that they're one of the big boys too. Yeah. And, and what we did is Earth came to the rescue of the non-aligned worlds and defeated the Dilgar, and somewhere in there their son went Nova. And they're all dead except for her, so now they're all dead. They're extinct. And, um, yeah, so that's one of the reasons that these other races came to Babylon 5 when it opened was they felt some form of gratitude to Earth for helping them out back 20, 30 years ago, whenever it was. Um, yep. Um, one of them said it was Earth that turned the... T- oh, it was Jadura said it was Earth that turned the tide against our race. There you go. Yep. Uh, and I, 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 will, I will point out that I really... I, I enjoyed that, that whole storyline about how she had, you know, information that, that all the other races wanted, so she was willing to trade that for her safety. It was a lot like the Nazis being smuggled out of, of Germany by the Americans for their rocket science. Oh, that is exactly right. Yes, you're exactly right. That's very good. Um, we get a great Kosh quote, understanding is a three-edged sword. File that one away for later. Uh, let's see. We saw Senator Senator Hidoshi. So we, we do encounter a lot of different senators on this show. And we got like the 15th time already somebody has said that information is on a need-to-know basis and you don't need to know. <laughs> God, I, I think, noticed that as well. Oh. I don't know if that's a Larry Dottilio thing or if that's just a Babylon 5 thing. <sighs> You know, it's like it's kind of like in Star Wars when they say I have a bad feeling about this. It's just every right. five minutes somebody says it. But you're right. I don't know who it is. It may be they both do it, and that's why it comes up so much. I thought it was interesting that the Wind Swords clan of the Minbari have been sheltering Jadur, and they speak of Sinclair often. They say you have a hole in your mind. Well, maybe yeah. they should have shown this episode before the previous one where we find out what the hole is. All right. Uh, <laughs> I bet there's a suggested viewing order. That, that, that I, I do want to say that that was pretty cool, too, where it shows that the uh, Minbari are not a homogenous yeah. race with, with one, mm-hmm. you know, one common view by, held by everybody. I thought that was kind of cool. It shows Bravo. kind of the complexity that, that Earth politics has as well. 
Absolutely. I, that's something I complain about on other shows all the time. You're 100% right. Um, we know that the Vorlons have the hour of scampering and the hour of longing. So I don't know what that means, but there you go. Uh, you know, you Talia, Talia seemed to be able to figure that out. You know, she was there on time, so right. she must she have probably Googled it. <laughs> or she read about it in the paper. Yeah, she, I was going to say, she got that paper manual out of that dispenser <laughs> and looked it up. That's what they do in the future. Paper makes a big comeback in the future. Um, oh, here's another cautionism. You seek meaning, then listen to the music, not the song. Oh, so many yeah. cautionisms in this episode. Oh, we find out about an Antarian pickle. Again, Larry Dottilio, why does the pickle have to be from Antares? Why do you always stick some strange alien star in front of like random earth things. I swear, if he wanted to go sit in a recliner, he'd say, I'm going to go sit in this Rigelian recliner. And you're just like, <laughs> it's like a freaking chair, man. It's a pickle. Okay. Oh my God. Um, uh, let's see. Talia clearly has something going on in her head. Uh, oh, we saw a Markab. I don't think he was called a Markab yet, but I don't think it gives anything away to say that that alien that you see was a Markab, one of them. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, I was about the council chamber. What I was going to say, I got sidetracked talking about that we actually did that at DragonCon. But the uh, I wish the council chamber was a little more regal looking. It looks like they hammered it together out of planks and spray painted it with like silver paint, and which is probably what they did, but I, right. I, I always just wished it was a little, you know, I can get by with most of the station looking cheap because it's just a, it's just a space station that they built with a low budget. You know, I like the idea that Babylon 5 itself in universe was built on a low budget because they'd blown up the other four, you know, and so they had to, didn't have much money left, but uh, in the budget, but, but the council chamber should be nice. There should be, I mean, there's no social distancing going on in that room. They're all just like elbow to elbow. You know, they are close right. in. I, if there was one set that we've seen so far that I wish was a little more like Star Trek: The Next Generation and a little less like it is on Babylon Five, it's that. I could use yeah. some carpet, some wood grain, you know, some chrome, some, you know what I mean? Just something with yep. some brass, some plants. But the Something. backdrop was the backdrop behind the, the the main desk was drywall with hand painted yeah. uh, designs on it. It looked really cheesy. And the room should be. I mean, I know they're on a space station, but it's a quarter of a you know however long, mile long, five miles long. Yeah. How do they not have room for a bigger room than that? I mean, I guess <laughs> right. the answer is it's the space station. But I, I it's you know anyway. I I just that's always been my pet peeve. Is the council chamber is the most disappointing set to me. I yeah. like I like that the Narn were neutral during the Dilgar War. That was their big chance to make a splash, and they chose not to. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder what the Centauri did. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. I bet the Minbari were neutral, too, because if they weren't, they wouldn't have needed Earth. Correct. Yeah. The Minbari would have gone in there and cleaned house. I had a yeah. note. You'll you'll appreciate this. I made a note that we see the Drazi Sunhawk. We also see the Ipshaw Battle Globe and the Vree Saucers. The Vree, and this is not a spoiler, this is just telling you who they are, the Flying Saucers are the Vree, and when you see them actually in the council in different times, they're the ones that look like the little UFO aliens that people claim to have seen, like, you know, being abducted by. The big eyes, you know, and the little bodies and all. That's the yeah. Vree. That's the Vree. So now you've seen the Vree saucer. I don't think we've actually seen the Vree yet. 
but we've seen their saucers. We see Kosh has a little R2-D2 arm. That's cool. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think that's pretty much my... Uh, I did I did like the... Uh, I think you're exactly right that, 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 that Death Walker pulls a Nazi, you know, rocket science thing. But she also puts an extra twist on it where she says, not like us, you will become us. Her plan was triple evil, Andy. I really like that twist where oh. we'll, we'll give you immortality, but you have to kill one person for each person you give immortality to. So you I thought to, that was, that was yeah. a nice little evil twist. It's like saying to defeat the Nazis, you have to actually become the Nazis. And that's like, yeah. Ugh. So thankfully, Kosh took care of it for us. That was right. We couldn't be trusted to suit it, to take care of it ourselves. Okay. Notable. And you guess, know, Kosh, yeah. Kosh has proven right with that. By the way. Yeah, sure. The, yeah. the, the Earth government should not be trusted with stuff like that. No, no. You were exactly right. Uh, notable guest star Sarah Douglas plays Yadur. Interestingly enough, the sort of fish alien that was protesting against Death Walker was Robin Curtis, the second Lieutenant Savick from Star Trek III. Yep. So we had two veteran women from sci-fi popping up on this episode. Neither one of them very recognizable, although I think Sarah Douglas was a little more recognizable under there than, than poor Robin Curtis right. as the fish lady. Um, I wonder if baby Yoda ever ate her children. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder these things, man. All right. Well, we are down to the episode rating, and i got to tell you, there are some I'm more curious than others about about what you thought. What is your all right? We do a five star rating, and half half stars are perfectly acceptable. So, what is your rating, and why? All right, I gave I, I dithered back and forth on this one. I gave it a two point five stars. I Ooh. I really wanted to give it a three star. I wow. I thought maybe it could have been a three star, but I just it it just I don't know it 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 just seemed a little bit like filler to me. So I I I didn't give it the, the full three stars. That is very, very interesting. I like when we disagree because it's always interesting to find out why. You know what I mean? It's like when we agree, it's pretty obvious we both appreciated pretty much the same things. But but when we disagree, that is, to me, really interesting because it kind of gets at what we're looking for and how we're reacting to what we're seeing. This is probably one of my three favorite episodes from season one, and I gave it a four. Wow. How about that? Yep. Yeah, it's just got so many things I like. It's got a lot of Tally in it. She's one of my favorite characters. It's got the Vorlons kicking butt for the first time and establishing what they can do. Um, it's got some good Natoth stuff that's cool. Uh, I, I love her plot, Death Walker's plot. I think she's a good character. I hated that we don't get her again, you know, because she got blowed up pretty obviously. But uh, yeah, this has always been one of my favorite episodes of the entire show, and certainly one of my wow. favorite first first season episodes. So there we go. Well. You know, now you have to go back and edit out my 2.5, and I give it a three stars. <laughs> I've, I've convinced you, huh? Right. All right. <laughs> All right. I think that one and a half is our biggest difference so far from last week. I think we had one that we were one and a half off of last week. But it was the other way. Yeah. You gave it a higher one than I did. So we're balancing right. out. We're probably like dead even on our stars so far if we looked at the whole thing. That's pretty funny. All right. Our second episode is probably the most controversial episode in the entire show's history. This is one that gets argued about, debated over and over. Some people think it's brilliant. Some people think it's the best episode of the entire show and not just people that are Dr. Franklin's relatives. Um, it's, <laughs> it's certainly his highlight of the of his career. On the, and he has other episodes where he does a lot. I mean, you know, you and I both know that, right? Dr. Franklin has... Right. He has other episodes where he does plenty. But this is like his episode. This is his baby. 
And um, I could see JMS selling Richard Biggs on the roll by saying, I've got an episode coming, maybe, you know, where you're going to basically be the lead in it, pretty much. And he is. So this one is 110 Believers. I'll give it a quick summary, and then I've just really got to know your immediate, kind of like, where do you fall? We're going to break it down, obviously, but I want to get your... (laughs) But let me give the summary first so people know what we're talking about. This is the one that David Gerald who famously wrote The Trouble with Tribbles on Star Trek back in the 60s, he wrote this. JMS came up with the plot and then asked David Gerald to write it, and he did. And the reason he asked David Gerald to write it, I know this is not summary, but I think this is germane, is that David Gerald had just adopted a little boy, and so he knew that it would hit hard particularly for David Gerald to write it, and it did. Uh, basically, this story is... I don't know if there even is a... Oh, there's a B-plot with Ivanova. Okay, the B-plot first is that Ivanova takes, gets to fly the Star Furies out to look for the Raiders, and that's cool. They were in, they've moved to Vegas. She, she was looking in Oakland. Um, but the other <laughs> plot is that these, this, these two aliens have a little boy. They're on the station, and the little boy is going to die unless Franklin does an operation on him. But the parents... It's against their religious beliefs to do that. And so Franklin does it anyway, and the chips fall where they may. Um, man, I have thoughts on this one. I don't have nearly as long of a list of notes as I did on Death Walker, but I have a lot of thoughts on it. So where do you come down on this episode? Is it brilliant, or is it terrible, or what? Yes. <laughs> well done. I, there, there are parts of it. You know, I I remember disliking this one when I first watched it when it first aired. Um, I haven't really rewatched it since then. I always kind of skipped over it because I I didn't think that it really played you know that into the big plot that much. Plus, I don't like showing other people this one because they always look at me like that was dumb. Yeah. So, um, but. After rewatching this one, it, there are parts of it that are are brilliant. It's very well written. It just comes off as so ham fisted. Uh, if they could have just toned down a little bit of it, I, I think it it would have it would have come across much more palatable than it does. But yeah. Since you brought up not showing it to other people, I have a quick, quick, quick little story about that. So at this point, basically, we'd gotten the gathering, and then a year later, we got. Um, 101 through 109, Death Walker. And I was just thinking, this is the greatest show ever. And so I got a bunch of my friends to come over when it was going to air, like on the, after, on the afternoon when I, was, when I was living in Auburn, going to college, uh, graduate school. They all came over. And I'm like, you got to watch this show. This is the coolest thing ever. There's space battles and aliens and you know, all this cool stuff. <laughs> and we got believers. And an hour later, they all looked at me and said, well, that was stupid. You're an idiot. And they all left. <laughs> they never, never listened to me again about anything like this. So this episode ruined my reputation among my, my buddies as far as being able to pick good stuff for us to watch. So thanks a lot, David Gerald. Um, here's, I, I summarize it in this one little quick paragraph because I, I thought a lot about it. I, my initial, the first two or three times I watched it years ago, I didn't like it. I just found it a frustrating episode and not really what I wanted to see on Babylon 5. Then right. later, I came to appreciate it for asking moral dilemmas and questions, and I actually have even shown it to my religion college class students before to let them debate the idea of how much should your religion dictate you know, what you're able to do with 
other people's lives and you know the children and all. And we've had some good debates and conversations in my classes over it. But now I've kind of come around again to a third position, which is this. My main problem with this episode is that it's all about this supposed moral dilemma over saving the child versus obeying religious rules and the wishes of the parents. But this episode only works if you feel that there is a legitimate dilemma. And a dilemma means that there are two bad choices. I disagree with that premise. I don't think that there are two bad choices. I think there's a bad choice and a good choice. And so the episode doesn't work for me because I reject the very premise that it's based on. I can appreciate how well it tries to do what it's trying to do. I do appreciate it. But it drives me crazy in the sense that the entire plot is predicated on a premise that I don't believe. I'm not a believer, okay? And that 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 premise is that Sinclair wouldn't just take custody of this child. I mean, let me give this example. When I lived in in Atlanta, I'm from Alabama, but I lived in Atlanta for 11 years. When I lived in Atlanta, it was all over the news one day that there was a very, like, country, rural, you know, church. And they decided they didn't want the little children in their church to ever have sex outside of marriage. And their answer to this dilemma was to put was to try to get them all married to each other when they were still children, so that if they had sex, they would all be married to each other. Well, Georgia wouldn't let them do that. So, you guessed it, they put them all in a bus and drove them to Alabama, where Alabama was like, sure, we'll let your little kids get married to each other, no problem. So, way to go, Alabama. <laughs> I'm so proud. <laughs> Well, they got arrested, and the state of Georgia took their children away from their custody. And I'm like, if you can take children out of the parents' custody over making them get married, you can certainly take the children out of the parents' custody if the parents are going to freaking kill the child. So I think that 100% Sinclair should have said, what, they're going to let him die? Uh, not on my watch. And gone in there with security with PPGs out and taken the kid away and told the parents, you can get on your ship or you can go out the airlock. Take your pick. Um, you, in other words, you can go out, you can leave the station in a ship or not in a ship. It's your choice, but you're not taking the kid. So what, do you, how, what is your immediate reaction to my position, if, if any? I'm curious now. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I, I, I mean, I know where I would have fallen on this situation, but Sinclair was in a little bit more of a, a tenuous position because he wasn't in a in a homogenous country of like the United States where you yes. have jurisdiction, you know, Dang it. that that can cross borders and stuff. So he was in more, more of a you know this is. Uh, an international incident, yes. you know? So you have, he couldn't you, necessarily just do that because he didn't have the legal authority to do that. You have found the one flaw in my argument, I will admit. I knew that going in. I was hoping I could get by with it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think you're right up to a point. I, I, I do agree that it's an it's a different situation that it's, like you said, it's more of an international incident, yes. Um, but still, I feel like there's times that Earth, if it has any weight, should throw that weight around and protect that child from dying is the number one priority over right. over diplomatic immunity or foreign policy or whatever. If they've got any weight at all, any moral authority in the galaxy, they should throw it behind this child's life first and foremost. But, you know. And I uh, agree with you 100%. And this is, the, this is the, the episode that made me such a huge Dr. Franklin fan because yeah. he was speaking what you know most viewers – 
w- w- how, how they would think. So I thought that that just really endeared me to him. So, um, and I did like, I thought it was fascinating the way, cause you thought throughout the entire episode that, you know, Hey, they're writing themselves into a corner here. Yeah. But you know, Franklin, Franklin did it. He got away with it, saved the kid. And then the twist was, <sighs> well, yeah, but then the parents just kill him, which, which was heart wrenching that whole, that yeah. the, the last couple of scenes, the scene mm-hmm. where the parents were, were saying their goodbye to the kid the scene where they first saw him and he was alive and they completely flipped their lids. Yep. And then that last scene in their room where they, where they uh, are celebrating his death, they were heart wrenching. I mean, being a, I I know, you know, the same feeling being a dad, Mm -hmm. it was just like, Oh my God, you know, it was really heart wrenching. I'm declaring war on their entire planet at that point. And we're bombing. (laughs) You're taking you people out because you can't be doing this crap. Yeah. I think JMS said he suggested the candles and it just kind of did make it even more, uh, creepy in a way well that let's let's hit the high point low point i'm gonna go ahead and jump to low point first because you just said it my low point of this episode is the dad pulling a knife on his own kid and then of course it doesn't get much lower than them murdering him so that's definitely my low point what is your low point of this episode and then we'll do high um, the low point for me was just that the first introduction of, of the dilemma was so ham-fisted and mm. The, the the setting up the dilemma and and the the religious side of things and it was just like all right you're hitting us over the head with this huge hammer you know yeah. if they had been a little bit more low key or subtle about it I think it would have been a, a little bit more uh, palatable. What was your high point of the episode? My high point was Doctor Franklin. I thought he came through as a hero in spades. I mean I thought it. it Every scene he was in was well acted, and his his viewpoint was spot on, and uh, I, I really thought that he did a wonderful job from beginning to end. The, the character and the actor did a, a wonderful job with, with the situation. Yes, and my high point of this episode was everything involving Ivanova. She saved this episode. In fact, JMS wrote the B-plot totally separately because he felt like he needed something to counter off of it, you know? Uh, just to give it a counterpoint, and thank goodness, because that was the best part for me, is Ivanova going out there and being Ivanova of Star Command or whatever she was, you know, leading her squadron and everything. Right. And I really enjoyed that a lot. It was cool to have a, like a half Raiders episode. If that had been the whole, if the whole episode had been Ivanova versus the Space Pirates, I'd have been very happy. But uh, right, well, let's, yeah. Let's, but you know yeah. what? The Raiders they really need a cooler starship design because I hate. That little flying wedge, little triangle shape yeah. of their ships. Oh, that just drives yeah, me batty. That's true. Uh, let's see. Most Babylon Five scene. Uh, for me, it was the parents petitioning all the various ambassadors and yeah. the ambassadors' responses to each. I thought that was it. it really uh, uh, highlight each of their races and their viewpoints towards the universe in, in a nutshell. Yeah, I love that Londo's reaction is like, well, this, there's a lot of administrative costs. You got to write me a big check. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Oh, the Centauri, looking for the profit motive. Yeah. And I think that wasn't the Narn position something involving strategic military something or whatever? Probably. Right, remember, right. Something like what that. do you bring to this? What What can you do for us? Right. That's Yeah, exactly. You're right. It puts them all in a position to expose their real character. And that's, and, and, and I don't mean like the characters. I mean like the their character, you know, and, and it, right. it really does. Um, we'll get to favorite character moment in just a second. But my favorite... My, well, my most Babylon 5 scene was just an, yet another... Man, we had two episodes in a row where Kosh 
is just throwing out the enigmatic bombshells, right? And this is one of his most famous ones where he says, The avalanche has already started. It is too late for the pebbles to vote. I love that. That's like <laughs> probably my favorite, maybe my favorite Kosh line right there. And he's got so many. And, and they all sound so deep, but when you really put some thought into them, it's like, what does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, we do find out, I will, I will spoil this, we do find out later what some of his Koshisms kind of mean, but not right. all of them. But uh, I think his most famous line that he uses the most is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, his, that's his favorite go-to line is, yes. Yeah. All right, let's see. Favorite character moment. Well, let me do, I'll tell you, I, I keep asking you, I'll ask myself for it this time. I, I, yes, this is Franklin's big episode, and, and I have to acknowledge that and say that this is the one that he gets all the big moments, and, and you can't take that away from him. But for me, my favorite character moment was just Ivanova getting to go out and take command of the Star Furies and, and lead a squadron out into space against the bad guys. That was pretty cool. What was your favorite character moment? Uh, you know, I had two character moments. One was um, Dr. Franklin and Dr. Hernandez uh, mm. discussing the issue over dinner. And Franklin gets a little heated. The whole discussion gets a little heated. But in the end, you know, he goes, you know, if, if you do this and it turns out your way, I'll buy you a steak. So I thought that was kind of cool how, how he's, you know, very intense about his job and about saving lives. But he's still, you know, friends with with his coworkers. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, My other one was um, when Ivanova gets back and Garibaldi says, what did you do to your ship? You know, it'll be in the <laughs> shop for a week. They never showed the, the, what happened when she ran across all those raiders? But she gets back, and her ship's beat all the crap. So she, you know she dealt some serious punishment to him. I thought yes. that she and she just kind of you know smiles and says, "Yeah, help." <laughs> I love it. Yeah, these are touching on some of mine too. For funniest uh, moment, um, I yeah. Let me respond to that. My funniest moment. There's two again. Ivanova when she really wants to take the ship out, and she says. And, and Sinclair, instead of, you know, see, he misses her obviously wanting to do it. And he says, is Garibaldi available? You know, <laughs> like, which to me is like, why would you have the security chief flying a squadron of fighters around? I never even understood why Garibaldi even has a rating on a fighter, but I guess he does. But he says, is Garibaldi around to do it? And she's like, oh, don't worry about me. I'm just going to sit here and knit something. <laughs> I thought that was great. That was great. And he's just kind of like, Oh, Lieutenant Commander, how would you like to take the squadron out? Oh, sure, you know. Uh, the other one that was pretty funny was that Sinclair had just agreed to import a steak for the doctors, as you just mentioned, uh, for the other doctor. Then Garibaldi gives him a good excuse for something he doesn't want to do, and Sinclair says, I owe you one, and Garibaldi says, import another steak. I <laughs> thought <laughs> oh, no, that was very well written. That was good. Yeah. Uh, all righty. My, I have a, yeah, my funniest mo- I'm sorry. My funniest moment was also the, the Ivanova scene when she was really begging to fly without, you know, asking to fly. I yes. thought that was really, really funny. It was. She does. That's the thing with Ivanova. She can be very serious and, and very uh, and, and deep. You know, we, we saw her. Uh, we've seen her get very serious and you don't mess with her, but she can also be hilarious. So. She really is one of the most beloved characters because she has a lot of range, you know, that, and, and, and what Claudia Christian does with her, you know, of course, too. But, but that character gives her a lot to work with because she can be, you know, she is so Russian in the sense that she can be very up or very down, you know, depending on what's going on. So, yeah, um, I have a few random factoids for this one. Uh, uh, let's see. I've talked about a couple of them already, as I figured I would. 
Uh, oh, this is the first episode where you really see a lot of them walking around wearing their undershirts. They wear these button-up-the-front, long sleeve dress shirts under their uniform tunic that have those round Mandarin collars that were popular for five minutes back in like the late 80s, I remember. <laughs> and uh, I had one of them left over. So at DragonCon one year when we were doing the LARP, doing the live action thing, I actually pulled out my old white Mandarin collar uh, shirt and had it, it so I actually, it actually matched, matched the uniform. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, it's the first time I probably noticed it. Uh, let's see, uh, the, the Shakespeare Corporation and Fingal Eggs that are in the that are in the show that get mentioned are references to David Gerald's novels Under the Eye of God and Covenant of Justice. I read that somewhere. Uh, let's see. I love Londo's line, How much justice can you afford? That really sums things yeah. up pretty well. Um, um a lot of this is just me ranting about how much the show annoyed me, but I've already made that point, so I'm not gonna mention it again. <laughs> um Oh, this was interesting. JMS was asked about this episode, and he said, we sent the script to our to, to P10 that was producing the shows, you know, the first four years. He said, they said, they wrote back to him and said, number one, this is absolutely against the demographics of the show. Number two, no studio or network executive in his right mind would ever approve this story in a million years. Number three, it's a hell of a story. I love it. Let's do it. So, JMS <laughs> was always kind of happy that they went along with his, uh, you know, with what he wanted to do, pretty much. Un- unlike Crusade, which we'll have a lot to say about later. Right. Uh, if you go to the Lurker's Guide page at midwinter.com slash lurk and you look under episodes for this, ba- for this episode, JMS is quoted at length defending and explaining this episode. I just happen to disagree with everything he says, but that's fine. Uh, there's no reason. <laughs> Uh, there really weren't any uh, notable guest stars. There was the alien family. There was the doctor that you mentioned that never really does much the rest of the show. Um, yeah. She does. Is it just me? I, I'm wondering if you're going to get this reference. It, it can't be the same person because it's probably too many years later. But she looks suspiciously like the singer on the first episode of Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. She does look like her. I don't think that was 20 years prior. I don't I think there's know. any way. I know. But, God, every time I look at her, I'm like, she looks like that weird singer on Galactica. That was so yeah. crazy. She she doesn't have as many eyes as that singer had. No. It's true. But her facial <laughs> shape is the same. Right. It's the same. It creeped me <laughs> out. Um, yeah. Why do we never see this doctor again? Really? We, I guess she just, uh, was a guest star for this script. And then I guess she pops up a couple of times maybe, but I don't even remember. This is the only time she really gets to be forceful and do stuff that, that kind of, you know, makes her stand right. out, I guess. All right. You want to give your episode rating stars for this? or You want me to go first? Uh, I do want to point out one little factoid of, oh, yeah. that, that hit me was, uh, <laughs> if you know, this is the first time I noticed this on the series. Okay. The lighting in the cockpit when they're uh, flying their Star Furies, it, how they shift it, it's very effective mm. uh, to make it look like they're actually swinging their ship around and stuff like that because the light source is changing. So you see like the, the shadow of the, the cockpit struts go across their face and stuff. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. That is cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if the ships move or if they were moving the lights. I'm sure they were just moving the lights because I've seen the, the – uh, the cockpit set and it's yeah. it's pretty sturdy. They're not moving anything around. Okay, cool. So, um, my rating for this was uh, I gave it a two point five. Um, mm. 
mostly because of it, it it centered on one of my favorite characters on Dr. Franklin and he had a lot of a, a lot of meat to, to to work with. So that that bumped it up a 0.5 for me. Well, I think we may have set the record here for our biggest difference. Uh-oh. Um because like I said originally I didn't like it, then I kind of liked it, now I don't like it again. So I gave this one a 0. Point Five. Wow. And the point okay. five is for Ivanova. <laughs> <laughs> that that is a huge difference. I, I, I mean, I, it, yeah, I just hate it. It makes me mad. It frustrates me. I may still use it in class just to see what students say, but yeah, the more I think about it, though, the matter I get, and the whole thing just, I just disagree with All the whole right. episode. I disagree the whole episode. I would, if I were yeah. Sinclair, I would have a taken custody of the boy, b put the parents out the airlock, and c declared war on their planet in that order. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> so the, the whole point of art is to elicit a, uh, yeah. a, a an emotional response, and I think this one succeeded very well with you because it really drew your emotions out. It did. That's awesome. Did. I hate to give it the credit that it did for that, but yeah, you're right. It did. <laughs> I hate to give it more than it deserves, but yeah. And I do realize that that's very harsh and that it did some things very, very well. And, and for, for, for Richard Biggs performance alone, I should give it another 0.25 stars. Cause he really, this is his baby and I'm, I'm proud for him. For him, I'm glad, you know what I mean? I'm glad he had that yeah. episode cause he was such a good guy. Yeah. And he deserved to have one that was all about him, so that's good. All yeah. right, we have one more episode to go, and it's kind of an interesting one, kind of in the middle. I'm curious to see what you thought about it, because I have some thoughts about it, too. It's another one of those, like, um, remember, we ha- we had an episode last time that I told you I can't ever remember what happens in it. It was the one mm-hmm. where the, the poet shows up and everything this is yep. survivors is another one where five minutes after i've watched it i have no idea what it was about it's survivors i don't know but uh they're all trapped on an island somewhere and they have to vote each other off something but anyway <laughs> but i'm curious to see what you think about it but first we have to thank the patrons because our show would not be on the air without these fine folks if you want to join the fun and help keep this show going because we got a long way to go man we got the when we finish tonight we will be halfway through the first season but we got the rest of the first season to go four more seasons we got crusade and we'll probably do some other things and andy i'm really thinking that when the first season is done after we do chrysalis i'm thinking that you and i need to have a guest star guest uh, a guest or two on to kind of look back at season one and evaluate the whole thing does that sound good to you that sounds like a blast. All right, we'll do that. We'll get uh, one or two people I know or that you know or whatever on, and we'll have a nice little roundtable about the season. So you guys can look forward to that in about three or four more episodes. But meanwhile, these shows wouldn't exist without support from people like you for as little as a dollar a month. Go to www.b5review.com, www.b5review.com. You have links that I put in different colors for the, to match the episodes. Uh, But you've also got a big black button there that says become a patron. You just click on that become a patron button and it'll it'll take you right on over to Patreon let you set up to be a patron and support the show. The folks currently supporting our network include... Where'd they go? Ah, Chris and Clinton Stewart. And you'll join these ranks, by the way, and I'll thank you every episode too. Carl Von Drunker, Christopher Burleson, and Samuel Salvatore, plus Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, Logan Chilton, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden, Ann Kangian, A.U. Falling Up, Ben Bloodworth, Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Evers, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, 
Eric Morgan, George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming, John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B, Phil Davis, Preston Settle, Reynolds, Wolf of the Weather Channel, Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, Timothy, W.D.E. Richie. we got to get better at celebrating. Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Alex Wynn, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, Cato the Barner, Chris the Hilton. God, those guys cracked me up. Colby Butler. And then a few more here when I click over to this other side of this thing and it goes around and around. My internet's kind of slow tonight. Danny Flack, Darius Benton, David Simpson, Dibama, Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Kenoy, Kevin Mahan, Christian Thorvaldson, Lane Middleton, Melissa Blackstone, Mike Finley, Algorithm, Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, Snowdog, Stephen Houston, Tim Pittman, Tony Perry, 76 Tigers Still Lives, Auburn Elvis, Ben Amos, Ben Rigas, Brandon Smith, Chris Como, Darren Pyle, we're getting close to the end. David Smiley, that's not a patron by the way, I'm just saying we're getting close to the end. Donnie Reynolds, James Taylor, Jason the Weasel Skull Albrick, John Stubbs, John Zavachin, Joey Miller, Joseph Iliff, Justin Bean, Kathy Bright, Kenneth Brent Rains, Mark Squire, Matthew Flowers, Mick Vigicana, and finally, as the little wheel spins and spins and spins, and oh my gosh, the internet has gone out. Oh, there they are. Paul Bankson, public landowner, Robert Drain, Russell Souther, Ruth, and Darren Sutherland. That's the truth. Ruth, Spanky, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, Brent Rumble, and Chris, plus our one-time and anonymous donors. That's a nice little crowd of folks who think enough of our network to help keep these shows on the air. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be part of their ranks and have me thank you every episode. And we'll have some bonus things coming along, bonus content and stuff as we get the chance. Maybe we'll even make the season review episode available early to the patrons, and then everybody else can hear it a couple of weeks later. That might not be a bad little premium incentive, huh? Hmm. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, let's do that. All right. Now, again, www.b5review.com will hook you up. You can also find links to videos. In fact, I'll probably put the, I'll go ahead and uh, probably tomorrow post the video link to the, um, to the B5 LARP at DragonCon 21 years ago, just to embarrass everybody that was involved. (laughs) All right, Andy, we got one more to go for tonight. And that is 111 Survivors, originally titled A Knife in the Shadows. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a, a little bit of the synopsis. Let's see if you, you want to add anything to it. Basically, the president is coming to visit Babylon 5 and bringing them some fighters. And a security major or something like that, right, comes ahead of time to try to make sure everything is squared away for the president's visit. But she and Garibaldi have history. And so things start going very much awry for Mr. Garibaldi. Is there anything I left out there? What's, what's the B-plot on this one? I can't even remember. Well, the, the whole reason that the security uh, chief was there was because there was a, a, an explosion uh, on yeah. the, on, in, the, in the Cobra base before yeah. the president was to arrive. So, yeah, the B-plot, you know, I don't really remember a B-plot. And, and yeah. I just rewatched I, – I watched all these twice. I rewatched this one today. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like you. It, it just – uh, there's no real B plot. Yeah, it's all just Garibaldi running around the whole time. Interesting. This right. was this is the only one, as far as I know, this is the only episode written by Mark Scott Zickery, who I think has done television around. So he's he's a, kind of a veteran. He's done some sci-fi TV, and this has to a certain degree. There is a lot of Babylon Five to this episode, but if you think about it, there's also a lot of it could be a lot of shows. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This 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 could be. 
almost Star Trek. This could be this could have been a Battlestar Galactica episode, the new Galactica, probably. You know, you know where there's yep. like a security chief that's trying to frame or somebody getting framed and all. I mean, this is a, just kind of a classic plot that um, that just is molded around these particular characters, in particular Garibaldi's alcoholism. That's the main thing that we Oof. get out of this one, I think. So. All right, so any kind of overview thoughts on it before we get into the high point and the low point? Uh, no, let's, let's dive right in. All right, what was your high point of this episode? My high point of the episode was uh, Earth Force One. I, I really love, again, I was such a spaceship nerd, <laughs> and I really loved the design of Earth Force One, and especially the, uh, the color schemes on the, the Escort Star Furies. I love the Star Furies, and I love all the different uh, artwork that they have on them, but the blue and gold and white. Mm. Um, and they're kind of hard to see in, in this particular episode, but uh, my Star Fury models came with a decal set for this particular <sighs> scheme, and they're really cool. So nice. I, I, I geeked out over that, seeing that for the first time. Absolutely. I do like Earth Force One. It's kind of like a like a dome and then four perpendicular solar panels or something. Right, it's kind of like the the kind of like the real you know uh, Air Force one. It's kind of a, a converted Starliner because yeah. we saw the Starliner in the the previous episode. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, interesting design that they came up with on this show, and the, and interesting too that the show the design. I think the designs on this show keep evolving and keep getting better in a lot of ways. Like the uh, we still haven't so far seen an Earth warship yet. Here's a little hint. Before this season is over, you will see an Earth warship. But I will say this. I think the Earth warships you see later in the series are even way better than what you see uh, this season. So I just think that they get better and better with their designs as this show goes on. Absolutely. So there are two moments where somebody gets... um, Where actually Jakar gets two very Babylon 5 lines. I made one of them my most Babylon 5 scene. We'll get to that in a minute. But my, the other one is my high point of the episode, and that is that when Garibaldi is talking to Jakar, I just I love the whole idea that Jakar kind of gives him sanctuary for a few minutes. They have a conversation, and and Jakar says the universe is governed by three forces: matter, energy, and enlightened self-interest. And that's just that's the very Babylon Five thing. But it's also kind of the high point to me is when Garibaldi is able to find some help and some friends in unlikely places. Um, yep. Okay, my low point. I actually left this blank. It's the one thing I didn't fill in, but it. In, but I instantly thought of what it is. Is that honestly, I like the actor that played Major Kimmer, but I didn't like her in this part. It's kind of like the same thing with Tamlin Tamita. I love Tamlin Tamita in so many things, but she just was terrible in the Gathering. I, Major Kimmer in this episode honestly looks about fifteen years old. I just don't buy her as being a major, way outranking everybody else. And trying to throw her weight around on Sinclair, and and she has to be so deadly serious, but she's just it just makes her very one note. And then it's even the more jarring when at the end of the episode we see her with her hair all down. They they kind of Ivanova her, you know, like Ivanova right. spends most of the series with her hair up tight, but occasionally she foofs it all out, and it's just like whoa, Ivanova's got giant hair. Um, they did that to Kimmer at the end, and I'm like, okay, so all the time she's being a hard ass, her hair is tied up in a knot. So as soon as she decides to be nice to Garibaldi, she foofs her hair all out fluffy, and that just kind of annoyed me. I just didn't you like. Know, my, I didn't like her in that part. My, 
my wife pointed that exact same scene out. She she doesn't watch the show with me. She just wanders in and out as as I'm watching, and uh, she she was actually kind of caught up with this one. So she spent about ten minutes watching, and she goes, "Oh, so she let her hair down. I guess she's going to be nice now." Yep, <laughs> I thought that uh, was kind of funny. She, you're, she's exactly right. That that got me too. So, what did you think of Kimmer? Let's go ahead and talk about her for just a second. What did I mean? Which did she work for you in that role? She did. Um, and I understand, you know, she was one of those, uh, those hardcore aggressive kids that grows up, you know, she's so single minded that she outperforms everybody else in her class and all that. I mean, I, I got that what they're going for there, uh, that she was supposed to be the, the young hard ass that, that overachieved and got to where she was, uh, a lot sooner than what she, you know, what her peers would normally, um, so yeah, I, I thought I thought the actress did a good job, and she's one of those actresses that I recognize, but I don't remember where I recognized her from. Yeah, no, me. Either. Um, but it, it, I I thought she did a good job. You know, honestly, I think Robin Douglas, if they brought her back from Death Walker without the makeup on, could have been a bit. I know because I know she had to be young. That was the. I know they had a dilemma with casting this one in that it had to, she had to be young enough that she could have been a kid around Garibaldi when he was a grown up, you know, pretty much a grown right, up. Right, right. But on the other hand, she had to be old enough to have the to be a major and have that kind of authority. And and in some ways, I almost feel like that doesn't work. Like he's not old enough. He's like we find out in either this episode or another one. He's like thirty seven. So yeah. how old was? You know, that doesn't right. give you a he lot of like, years. He was like 19 a... years old when he was yeah, at Europa Exactly. Security. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, don't, I think that maybe the problem isn't her so much as just the script doesn't work with him being as young as he's supposed to be. So right. if he well, was like 50-something, you know, maybe. You, if you look back to World War II, you had a lot of people. And remember, a lot of Earth Force got wiped out within the past 10 years. So That's she's, true. she's filling roles. You look at, the, at World War II and you see a lot of just kids – like yeah. the the guys flying the bombers, you know, they were 20, yeah. 30 years old and they were majors and, and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, it it's not unprecedented. It, it kind of strains credulity a little bit, but it's not unprecedented. Yeah, especially for the Russians back then, interestingly, yes. So. Right. Okay. You, you've, been, you've done a very good job tonight of finding reasons why things that I'm, I'm annoyed by happen. So I appreciate you straightening me out. That, but that's good. That is the highlight of, of, of this show for me is, is – <laughs> Nitpicking and, and, and deflating your balloon, sir. <laughs> well, you're doing a great job. That's great. That's great. <laughs> um, all right. Most bad. Did, did we get your low point? I can't remember. My low point was uh, Garibaldi's initial escape when they uh, are oh. standing out in front of his quarters and they discover all the uh, the, the planted contraband that oh, yeah. you know framed him and he has to escape so he does like a karate chop kick and turns around and runs away and it just looks so ridiculous yeah that's true yeah i i did notice that i just i winced and kind of tried to put it out of my memory so that's why i didn't think <laughs> right. about it you're, you're right um most babylon 5 scene what's your most babylon 5 scene this episode you actually mentioned it already and it was the uh the whole scene with um with jakar i thought that was yeah. That was the perfect summary of Jakar's character. Um, you know, energy, matter, enlightened self-interest. I thought that was a funny line, but also a very poignant line. And uh, I, I like how he kind of helped um, helped uh, Garibaldi out. I yeah. thought that was kind of cool. I same. I think same conversation, just a different line for me is when he when Jakar says, Malari's people watch me, my people watch them, we all watch one another, Mr. Garibaldi. So I thought that was another very Babylon 5, kind of going back to yep. nobody's what they appear to be and all that. So um, Let's see, favorite character moment. I'm going to say I love when Ivanova 
keeps confronting Major Kimmer, and and Kimmer says, "I demand you do so and so." And Ivanova says, "I'm an Earth Force Lieutenant Commander. I don't do demands. You may request." Fine, I request. Request denied. <laughs> <laughs> another great Ivanova moment. And there's another one those coming two, up. Yeah, and th- those two were so much alike that th- there yeah. was always friction whenever they're in the same room together. That's true. That's true. So what's your favorite character moment? My favorite character moment when uh, Lano and Garibaldi were talking in the bar. Um, mm. And it, it, it's just another great Lando moment. You know, yeah. he, he comes across as, as a buffoon at first, and then he comes across as deadly serious. And I, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, that's one thing about this stretch of episodes kind of in the middle of the season is that while really huge things aren't happening right now, we're getting a lot of opportunities to see um, individual reactions, right? In other words, we're on, a, we're on a string of episodes where you're not getting a lot of clashes between the Centauri and the Narn and the Minbari and everybody. They're not like all in the same room trying to kill each other, but we're going to each one of them separately and they're each revealing a little more about themselves every episode separately, right? Whether it was believers when the aliens went to talk to them about you know helping them out, advocating for them, or whether it was you know when Jadur was going around offering you know the the the, the immortality, or or here where it's Garibaldi kind of going around getting help. Every episode in this string, I think the one thing that seems to hold them in common is that we keep visiting one on one with ambassadors and finding out a little bit more about them and their personality every time. Yep. Yep, I agree 100%. My funniest moment, though, is Ivanova again when she says, when, when, when Sinclair says to her, get, you know, escort Major Kimmer off the observation dome or whatever. And Ivanova says, you are going to resist, I hope. I can't even read that with a straight <laughs> face. I honestly can't read that line without cracking up. I actually rewound it. I was watching on my iPad. Uh, and I rewound it and went over to my wife and I said, all right, I know you're not going to get this completely because you haven't watched the show, but I said, this line, come on. And I played it for her. She thought it was pretty funny. You are going to resist, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> and that time. is my, my favorite or my funniest moment as well. It was absolutely hilarious. Yeah, that's great. Um, you, uh, let's see. A few random factoids from me this time. Apparently the Vree are messy eaters. I, I know the Pac Marah. We haven't met the Pac Marah yet, have we? We ha- I think we saw one in the uh, the council chambers last episode, but I'm okay. I, I don't remember. But no, we we haven't been introduced to the more colorful uh, uh, aspects of their culture. I you know it's it, yeah really I it's it's interesting that we spent season one kind of getting to know the main alien races, and then we've had a few completely unknown alien races come in, like like in the uh, Born of the Purple Tracus's race, no clue. Uh, the the Believers family. Whatever race they are, no clue, right? I mean, we keep having these aliens come through that we don't really know who they are. I think there's been another one, too. There was, like, the big guy that Garibaldi fought in this episode. We don't know who any of these aliens are. But on the other hand, there's, like, a whole bunch of aliens that over the course of the series become very important as sort of supporting alien races. And we haven't really gotten to know any of them yet. But but they've gotten referenced, right? Like, we've heard about the Vree. And uh, we've met the Drazi a couple of times, who are hilarious. Um, there's more to come. So, yeah, if, you're a, if you've never watched the series before, keep your eye out for the aliens. In the, I mentioned the, the Markab. There's so many. Keep your eye out for aliens in the background because slowly but surely, most of them, we find out who they are 
and at least a little bit of what they're like and certainly what their spaceships are like, we find out too, which is pretty cool. Um, yep. So the Vri are apparently messy eaters. Who knew? I didn't even know they had mouths, honestly. Uh, dust. <laughs> dust gets referenced for the first time. Did you catch that? I did. Oh, I was like, well, they're setting this up yep. way early, huh? What right. <laughs> Can't talk about it, but those of you that know, dust has been referenced, so it's in-universe now. Oh, I thought we'd seen the last of Nagrath, but Nagrath makes a guest appearance. I was so excited. Yep. And you know what? He actually looked better in this episode than they were figuring something out. If they could have just moved it forward a little bit, he could have stuck around. But he moved, he pointed, he gestured. I thought he was the most lifelike uh, appearance of Negrath that we've had. Now, he had an exchange with Garibaldi that made no sense and I was totally puzzled by. And it it, it made so little sense, I didn't even type it up. But in the middle of their conversation, or toward the end of their conversation, Negrath says something to Garibaldi, and they all just kind of stand there without saying anything for a minute. And then Garibaldi's like, okay, and walks out. And I'm like, what? I watched it twice, and I couldn't figure out what they said. But I do love that Negrath is like, you are police. <laughs> You're a policeman. Yeah. He's worried about the cops. I just love that, that he's, he won't deal with Garibaldi because he's a cop. He's like, I'm not a cop right now. Still police, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just love Negrath so much. Um, General Netter shows up, and of course he's named after the executive producer Douglas Netter, which is interesting because yep. Douglas Netter's photograph shows up later as the president. <laughs> right. <laughs> so his name is a general and his likeness is the president, President Santiago. So, yeah, I, I don't know why they had Douglas Netter play President Santiago because – there's nothing Latin looking about Doug Netter. He's just a, you know, but whatever. Okay, you know. Um, we find out Garibaldi's middle name is Alfredo, and he's 37, which again doesn't really match up yeah. with the plot. Um, this the plot of this episode is remarkably similar to another one coming up, which I won't mention, but it, it kept striking me that this was similar. Um, I thought the countdown at the end was a nice touch. I like the idea there was a ticking clock until the ship docked and the explosion was going to go off and they got down to one. So cliche there, but I did like that. Uh, I like that there was a countdown. It, it, it just added something to it somehow. Right. I agree. And then the one last thing that I saw in this one that really kind of perked me up, they were, it was like Star Wars. They were playing a holographic chess with knights. I saw that too. Like, I thought that was a little cheesy, but. Wow, man. I, I wanted somebody to say, let, let the Narn win or something. I don't know. <laughs> but that was pretty cool. Yeah. I like. I particularly like the uh, the the. Um, we got to see a little bit more about how the Cobra rays work, yeah, and how the Star Furies are transferred to the bays. And so, I being a, a tech nerd like that, I thought that was kind of cool to, to to see the inner workings of how all that works. I think the Cobra bays and the way they launch those Star Furies, one of the coolest things in in all of sci-fi. I mean, it's just it, it's right up there with the the uh, the Viper launching from the uh, oh, Battlestar yeah. Galactica. It's well, just—it's cool how they—they—they, they, they, and it's scientifically plausible. You know, they use yeah. the gravity of the station. Yeah. They swing down. They—it's oh, just really cool. It's true. Like on Galactica, they get that dramatic. Bla- I've never thought that it was a good idea for them to trigger their turbo thrusters inside the launch tubes like that. But, but whatever. <laughs> right. It gets them out in a hurry, though. That's for sure. Right. Um, but they have to use like their ship's propulsion to get out of the launch bays. Whereas, yeah, this uses the centrifugal force. 
of the station spinning to just drop them right out into this into space. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely, it's great. Um, let's see. The only notable guest star of this episode, honestly, was probably Major Kimmer. I don't know who she was, but that's fine. Um, I, I guess we're down to episode rating. We're almost done. Uh, so I, I, I haven't given you mine first. I'll get, I'll do it this time. My episode rating for this one was a two point zero, and that's just because it wasn't terrible. It was just, I mean, the one thing we got out of this episode is, oh, yeah, Garibaldi is an alcoholic. I remember that now. And, I mean, other than that, I just didn't feel like we gained a whole lot out of this episode. It just kind of, it was just kind of an episode. So, what did you think? I, you I, I, this is another one I went back and forth on. Um, mm-hmm. I, I ended up rating this one a little bit more highly. I gave it a three. I was going back and forth between 2.5 and three, okay. but I finally did give it a three because it does set up a couple of really important things. I thought the whole, um, the whole alcoholism, uh, Garibaldi's mm-hmm. arc in general throughout the series is, is a really powerful one. It, it's, it, mm-hmm. it, it just comes across as very, very real and very human, and this one sets that up. It, it, it's the first initial salvo, I guess you could call it, of of where he's going. I thought that was really cool, and then it sets up um, the uh, the issues with the president, the current president, which will play out. That's true. Uh, that the the current president seems to be very open to. You know, trade and immigration with the aliens. He seems to be a very progressive president, mm. and there's people high up in his own security staff that don't agree with him. So I, I thought that was laying some good groundwork. So, and it was, you know, there's a lot of action this episode. I thought it was uh, like that, like you mentioned, the countdown bit at the end, the fight at the in the Cobra base right before, you know, that there was some tension there. So um, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I gave it a, a three. And I think that's all very justifiable. Um, I, I thought it was interesting. We saw Lou Welch, I believe, in this episode, right? His security underling that's very popular. I yeah. I think we saw Lou. If it wasn't in this one, it was in one of these three. But I want to say it was in this one that that that, uh, that Lou Welch, the security guard, popped up. And I was surprised in this episode we didn't see Jack. You remember we've talked about him a couple of times? Yep. Jack is his, like, second-in-command that never sees things until Garibaldi sees them, never points things right. out until Garibaldi points out. Just isn't that interesting that he does that. And I right. really thought I, this and would I, have... I, do, I, I wanted to agree with you. I do like Lou. And, and Lou yeah. did appear in this episode, and yeah. he's, he's kind of a frumpy old guy, but uh, <laughs> he's, he's got a good heart. I like Lou. He pops up in, this, in the Peter David novels later on, too, by the way. Um, yeah, I... <sighs> I just thought that Jack could have come in handy because he would have been ta- he would have taken over security maybe, and it would have yeah. been interesting mm-hmm. having it would have been interesting having him in charge there with the president coming and everything just to see how he maybe how he ran things differently and maybe how he treated Garibaldi when Garibaldi was wanted. We we kind of went to Kimmer and her people looking for Garibaldi, but we never really saw the B five security looking for Garibaldi. So I I just felt that was kind of a missed opportunity there. Maybe they didn't want to, you know, play their hand too soon. It could be. Okay. Well, that is our three coming up next time in two weeks' time. I like that we've got a nice set regular schedule. Everybody knows exactly when and where to find us. Um, yep. Next time we do 112, 113, and 114, and I'm trying to think what those are. I know that 113 is signs and portents which is probably the biggest episode we're going to look at next week. We're going to have a lot to talk about with 113 Signs and Portents. Yep. Um, I don't have my list in front of me, though. <laughs> I can't remember. I have, to, I have to edit this out. 
I just looked at that list earlier today, and I can't think. Uh, Science ah. importance, of course, was there, but I can't remember any of the Here others. Here it is. Okay, so we're going to look at, uh, at 112, which is by any means necessary. And this is the one written by Catherine Drennan, JMS's wife at the time. That'll be interesting. And then 13 mm-hmm. is signs and portents. And no wonder we couldn't remember what 14 is. 14 is TKO. Oh, good God. <laughs> Another Larry Dottilio episode. Yeah. But it's no Death Walker. I, you oh. know, I'm going to go into this one with an open mind because uh, – <laughs> The, the last two that I was sure I was going to hate, I didn't – like Infection and Believers, I didn't hate as much as I thought I would. So yeah. I'm going in with an open mind. TKO might just really blow me away this time around. The Mutai. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, it won't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So by any means necessary, Signs, Importance, and TKO will be our episodes next time. I wonder how many people hang around after the Thank the Patrons part for the TKO review. We'll see. We shall see, won't we? We'll see how dedicated you people really are. All right, man. Do you have any final thoughts for this batch of episodes before we sign off for this week? Uh, no, sir, I do not. I think we covered everything very well. Yeah, I think we have. I tell you, though, I enjoy these episodes so much. I don't know if anybody's listening, really. But I've certainly had a blast, and I've always I always enjoy I always anticipate, oh, it's almost time to talk to Andy about Babylon 5 again. So I'm having a great time doing this, and I hope you are, too. I absolutely am. This is the highlight of my, my week. <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, and hopefully you guys out there are enjoying it, too. And if you go, again, as you go to uh, www.plexico.net, you can drop me an email, drop me a thing, and, and, uh, and contact me or on Twitter at Van Allen Plexico. And uh, just let, let us know what you think about the show. I'll pass anything on to Andy that he doesn't get. And uh, we'll see if you like what we're doing, if you want, us to, so you want to suggest how we change anything or whatever. So, all right. Well, I think that'll do it for this episode. And we're into the second half of season one next time. Very exciting. So I'll talk to you later, Andy. All right, sounds good, Van. Take care. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.